Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. At this time, we're happy to turn our Bible Instruction Time over to our brother Don Hell. I realize there aren't many shopping days until Christmas, but I also recognize that there is one more Sunday between now and then, and so I'm going to let the one who succeeds me next week to deal with the Christmas message. Now you have your assignment, Frankie. <clears throat> Hope you won't disappoint us. <laughs> have you ever thought, and I've thought about doing this, I haven't done it yet, but I thought about giving a Christmas message in the middle of July. You could do that, couldn't you? You could give an Easter message in the middle of what? February, March, you know, somewhere in there. Uh, we think about these things one time of the year, and it's kind of a shame that we don't concentrate on some of these things during the entire part of the year. But I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Galatians. You'll recall that in weeks past, we had gone through the book of Galatians, and I want to concentrate on chapter number 6, Galatians chapter number 6. Just read you a few verses there. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse number 6. Galatians 6, verse number 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reach corruption, reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There is a website that I enjoy very, very much. It's called gotquestions.org. And they use a technique in presenting the gospel that the Lord used. What they do is they pose questions, thought-provoking questions, and then they provide the answers. And they have served, in my case, as a stimulus many times for a message. Uh, this particular question I thought was rather interesting. The question posed was simply this. If Jesus paid the price for our sin... Why do we still suffer the consequences of our sin? Let me repeat that. If Jesus paid the price for our sin, why do we still suffer the consequences of our sin? See, sin by its very nature has consequences. And the ultimate consequence of sin is death. And as we think of death, we think of two different areas. One, of course, is first physical death. It is appointed unto men once to die. They've said, often been said, that the two things that are certain are what? Death and taxes. You might avoid taxes. Some rich people are pretty good at that. But you're not going, no matter how rich you are, you're not going to avoid the prospect of death. Now, it's interesting that the psalmist tells us that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And I was thinking about that. When I was about five or six years old, a family physician, Dr. Smith, came to my house. And I was running a very high fever, and he diagnosed that the reason I was running that high fever was I had appendicitis. So he instructed them to take me to the hospital, and guess who operated on me? That same Dr. Smith, who came to my home. He removed my appendix. Later on, he did a tonsillectomy on me. Now, that doesn't happen anymore, as you know. You see, what's true is that medicine itself is proving to us how fearfully and wonderfully we've been made. Just about for every body system, there is a specialty. The primary care doctor's not going to remove your appendix anymore. That's probably not likely to happen. Another specialty arose from that, surgery. And then from there, other specialties. There's neurosurgery. There's gastrointestinal surgery. There's ENT surgery. There's vascular surgery, along with general surgery, and many of the other specialties, pediatric surgery. And then if we think of each of our body systems, every one of them is so complicated, so complex, that it requires a different specialty of medicine to deal with them. Cardiovascular surgery, we have cardiologists, we have urologists, and on and on it goes. I began to count the number of doctors, specialists, that I have been to in the last several years, and I came up with about 12 That's right, 12 different, and I'm just about to add another one, a general surgeon. So our bodies are just amazingly complex, wonderful and fearfully made, and yet the scriptures is not very complimentary when it talks about our body. How about the word corruption? Does that ever come to mind? Paul said this corruptible must put on incorruption. Peter says that's grass and flowers. All flesh is as grass. And all the glory of the man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower, flower falls away. James says it's a temporary vapor. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. But I think to the Philippian believers, Paul maybe used the most least complimentary term. God is going to transform our vile, ooh, wow, ouch, vile, lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Then we have spiritual death, and of course that relates to one's eternal soul. Remember, we remember when God created man, we read that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a what? A living soul. And the consequences of sin results in a spiritual death. The wages of sin is death. And you he have made alive who were dead, what? In trespasses and in sins. And because of sin, the soul is subject to condemnation. Through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, what? The judgment. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He removed the penalty 
the judgment imposed by a righteous God because of our sin. We, John puts it this way in his epistle. Then this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, son rather, to be the propitiation, the satisfaction of divine justice for our sins. And so now the believing sinner has a righteous standing before Almighty God. And Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, the ones who walk not according to the flesh, but they walk according to the Spirit. But here's a problem. The death of Christ did not remove the believer from the presence of sin. We live in a very ungodly world and an ungodly world system, and it's always been that way. John describes it this way. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. It's the world and its system. The death of Christ did not remove the lust of the flesh. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Peter writes, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The believer continues to have the ability to sin. The old nature has not been eradicated. If we say we have no sin, John says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The death of Christ did not remove the devil's presence in the world. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the roaring lion seeking whom he may desire. The believer now suffers from multiple consequences of sin. If I were not a believer and didn't believe that the Bible was the word of God, here's a verse I would believe. I've lived long enough now. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. Sow and reap. I have watched that during my entire life, and it's absolutely true. You know, an alcoholic can be saved by grace through faith, but he doesn't get a new liver, does he? Doesn't get a new liver. A thief can be saved, but he's going to spend some time in jail. He's going to reap what he sowed. An abusive father can be saved, but he may not be spared from the bitterness that he may have instilled in his children during his abusive years. Consequences. I'd like to just explore some of these consequences of sin. First of all, there's the universal consequences. Environmental. We're thinking about that a lot, aren't we? The environmental consequences. You know, God did something when he created man, and we sometimes forget about this. He made him the custodian of the earth. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know, animals don't have rights. They can't reason. You may think Fido can read your mind, but Fido cannot read your mind. He cannot reason. Therefore, he does not have rights. He's subject to man. 
Man is now living in the sin-cursed earth, and to Adam, here's what God said. This is what's going to happen. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. So you see, if we throw toxic chemicals into a river, what's likely to happen? The rivers can become polluted, and sometimes the consequences are health concerns. We have climate change. I don't think very many people deny climate change. What they might question is what causes climate change. Is it man-made or is it the earth just simply doing its basic thing? There's an interesting verse in Romans, and I've thought about that as I thought about this latest catastrophe. That tornado swept an area of about 200 miles. The little town of Mayfield, Kentucky, was absolutely wiped away. It was like just gone. And it just laid a path of destruction behind it. What's causing these floods, these fires? We've always heard of these, but I don't remember a time when there's been so many, one on top of another, one following the other, setting records, one behind the other. Interesting verse in Romans. I've wondered about this. Maybe you have too. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Is it groaning, do you think? Is it an indication that the Lord is coming soon? Is there really a serious groaning of creation during these times? We have the illnesses, the cancer, the heart disease. We're not exempt from any of those. I'm a living example. The psalmist says he forgives all our iniquities. And we can relate to that, of course. Heals all our diseases. Well, we look back on the wilderness journey and we find that you didn't find any of these contagious diseases among God's people as they made that journey. We think of the disease of sin, but then, you know, there's another way in which the Lord heals our diseases, and that's a marvelous thing when we were wonderfully made, and that is our immune system. You know, doctors don't heal. We talk about doctors, but they don't heal. They examine, they investigate, they test, they sometimes fix, they prescribe, they do not heal. The body is that which heals. They simply Help the process. And then, of course, the other thing we're subject to because of sin is just the trials and difficulties of life. Labor associated with grief. Nothing wrong with labor in and of itself. We need to be useful, but there's always grief associated with it. Think about that boss that you couldn't tolerate. Are you school teachers, those misbehaved kids? Or the school system itself. Wow, you say to yourself, my, how can this be? Both thorns and thistles it shall bring, God said to Adam. You shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. I remember working with Dr. Dippy. He'd come in the office in the morning and say, well, down, thorns and thistles. Here we go, another day. Thorns and thistles. It isn't the kids that give me the problems, those parents that give me all the problems. Thorns and thistles. But there's a special provision. I love this little verse. 
it points out that in spite of the thorns and the thistles and the griefs that associate with our labor, there is one particular blessing associated with our labor that comes from Almighty God. It goes like this. Solomon knew it. He said, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Things done as a result of the blessing of Almighty God. That labor has no sorrow associated with it. Now, I did the time meeting. I want to think about some of the various consequences of sin. First of all, there's the conflict consequences of sin. Conflicts. Mostly instigated by deceitful and wicked men, the heart of man. Often encouraged and prompted by the devil himself. Jeremiah had it right when he said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And we think about man's insatiable lust for power. And we think of these events, conflicts. The big war. Remember that one? Well, we don't remember some of us, but we remember about it. That was the war to end all wars. And it ended with the Treaty of Versailles, and they so severely punished the Germans that it sowed the seeds for the next one. It gave Mr. Adolf Hitler an opportunity to seize upon that and convince the German people that they were special. And that then led us to the Second World War. That's the war that brought us the atomic bomb and ushered in the Cold War. Millions of people died, and we've heard about that. Then there's the Korean War. That's sometimes referred to as a police action. Now, I know, Ed, you were in Korea. A uh, police action? I don't think so. Ed worked there in the comm center, and I'm sure he knew what was going on in Korea when he was there. It was certainly something more than just a police action. The Korean War spanned the years 1950 to 53. It claimed millions of lives. It involved over a dozen nations, it nearly led to a third world war, a police action. 227, 800,000 South Korean soldiers died. 54,000 or more U.S. soldiers died in that little police action there in Korea. Oh, then my war. Oh, my, this one. It grieves me to think about it. The war in Vietnam. You know, right from the beginning, those of us who were in the Philippines and were observing it, both from an intelligence point of view and just watching the troops and listening to them as they came and went, we knew, we knew, this was back in 1965, we knew it was a no-win, worthless war. We knew it. Sadly to say, perhaps the people in Washington might have known it too, but those who prosecuted that war from Washington, Mr. President Johnson and his Secretary of State, a man whose name is Robert S. McNamara, Secretary of Defense, rather. He was the Secretary of Defense. He wrote a book. It was called In Retrospect, and it was about Vietnam. I thought, boy, i got to have this book. So I did. I read it. I got it. Now, he's a, he was a, he's a real technocrat. Very difficult to read, a lot of complications, getting into all the theories and all that sort of thing. But then I lighted on this section, and I thought, oh, my goodness sakes. Here's what he wrote. People are human. They are fallible. Oh, really? Where'd you cut that idea? 
I concede with painful candor and a heavy heart that the adage applies to me and to my generation of American leadership regarding Vietnam. Are you ready for this? Although we sought to do the right thing and believe we were doing the right thing, in my judgment, hindsight proves us wrong. You ever been to the wall in Washington, the Vietnam Wall? Mr. McNamara, you were wrong? He was a smart guy, you know. We've been talking about the wisdom of this world. It's foolishness to God, isn't it? The wisdom of this world. He says... By the time the United States finally left South Vietnam in 1973, we had lost over 58,000 men and women. Our economy had been damaged by years of heavy and improperly financed war spending, and the political unity of our society had been shattered, not to be restored for decades. Wow, the consequences of sin, conflicts each one resulting in severe consequences. And yet we know, as we see this coming, that it's marking the end times. Remember what the Lord himself said? But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines and troubles, conflicts. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Now there's maybe the good part, the instructional consequences of sin. How God uses them to teach us something. When David tried to bring the Ark of Jerusalem on a new cart, remember what happened. This man, Uzzah, grabbed the ark, and what happened? God struck him there, and he was dead. But you see, a lesson was learned from this. David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them have God chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Then there was these, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, they kept part of, the pro back, part of the proceeds from selling one of their possessions, and they lied about it. And as a result, God struck them dead. Here another lesson was learned from this consequence. We read, great fear came upon all those who heard these things. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians that there was sexual immorality among you, He instructed them to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of Lord Jesus. And a lesson was learned there. Paul wrote, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. And then there are disciplinary consequences of sin. We have to make a distinction between the penalty for sin and the discipline as a result of sin. The penalty of sin, of course, was borne by Christ on the cross, giving us a righteous standing before God, and we can rejoice in that. 
for him, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul writes to the Corinthians. The discipline for sin occurs when a loving father disciplines his children, his sons, who have gone astray. Solomon put it this way. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And the writer of Hebrews carries that thought on. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And of course, the consequence, the ultimate result of this is correction and restoration. There's a song that I, it's actually a hymn, really. I always think of a little Sunday school song, but it's really a hymn. It goes like this. I am so glad that our Father in Heaven tells of His book in the love He has given, right? Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that what? Jesus loves me. But then, notice this next verse. Though I forget Him and wander away, then what? Still he doth love me, ah, the discipline, huh? wherever I stray. Now, once the lesson's learned, back to his dear loving arms would I flee when I remember ah, that I have a loving father, right? Who the consequences of my sin brings discipline when I remember that Jesus Loves me. Remember when Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it? There were consequences, weren't there? He was not allowed to enter the promised land. And yet, as a result of his exercise, spiritual exercise, that bears peaceable fruit, according to the writer of Hebrews, he was allowed, now think about this, he was allowed to go up into a mountain allowed to oversee, look over the entire lands that God had promised. He actually had a bird's eye view. Now, here's the remarkable thing. How old was Moses? Anybody remember? 120. Think about that. But here's the remarkable thing. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural force abated. Imagine having the strength to climb to a mountain. I couldn't do that today. Couldn't climb anybody's mountain. And I'm not nearly 120 years old. The eyes to be able to see all the way around from the top of a mountain. Imagine the grace of God, huh? The grace of Almighty God as he disciplined his servant Moses, who responded favorably to the discipline. And then God honored him. But since then, there is not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Then we have the word of God that often serves to discipline as a result of the consequences of sin. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for a variety of things, but I always notice, what, for reproof? And what else? Ah, correction. Yeah, there it is, right? Discipline. Correction. 
And of course it requires a spiritual exercise. Otherwise the lesson keeps on coming. But when the soul is exercised and realizes the discipline that God is bringing on his life, it bears peaceable fruit of righteousness, as we saw in the life of Moses. So all sin has consequences. It's a matter of sow and reap. We need not worry about the penalty for sin. That was dealt with at the cross of of Calvary. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we have forgiveness for the practice of sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And someday we will be free from the what? Presence of sin. Ah, there it is. You know why? There's no sin in heaven. Isn't that right? No sin in heaven. No consequences. No sin in heaven. We'll be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here we are. Sin has its consequences, but the penalty has been borne. We have forgiveness for its practice, and someday we will be removed from its very presence. Thank the Lord that he has settled the sin question with all of its ugly, ugly consequences. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for a loving God, a caring God who came to planet Earth in the form of a babe for the purpose of dealing with the consequences of sin and how horrendous they are. What tremendous consequences have been borne by mankind as a result of Adam's sin. It staggers our imagination to even think about it. And yet he dealt with that sin question, removing its penalty. And yet here we are in the world, sojourners, this world's not our home, and yet we recognize that he someday is coming to return and remove us from this sin-cursed scene. Let's pray, Father, these thoughts that have been shared this morning might have been a blessing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.